This week's episode of War Talking Drums is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one drumstick manufacturer. With 22 models to choose from, you can get the right size, weight, and feel for your playing. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of We're Talking Drums. Today, we are joined by our friend Cameron Flurry. How you doing today, bud? Yo, bud. All is well. <laughs> That's feel- good, man. That's good. Derek, how are you? I'm, I'm also good, man. Uh, Cameron, thank you for joining us today. It's a uh, our 10th episode, like Horace said, and I feel like we should insert some like party sounds, like um, noisemakers and stuff as a celebration because we made it to 10. Here we are, and we're going to ne- next, we're going to make it to 100. All right. That's, uh, <laughs> that's our next feat. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, um, so you have been a touring drummer. You do session work. You've done all kinds of YouTube videos. First off, I am really curious, what led you into drumming in the first place, and how did you get started? Oh, man. Well, way back yonder. I guess we can go way, way back. Way back before drums even came to fruition. But, um, yeah, (laughs) it's... Before they even existed. (laughs) It started with pots and pans, obviously. Then it graduated to Mm -hmm. gas cans and screwdrivers. And then... Nice. Well, when it came to instruments, it started with piano. So I I trained in piano for like five years, six years. My mom's a piano player. And then after that, I started playing cello in high school. And that's kind of where I picked up the drums because my brother picked up a drum set. And whenever he wasn't banging away, I was like, snipe. Thanks so much. <laughs> and yeah, he was really into Travis Barker. And he had a lot of that punk influence. He played in punk bands and stuff. So... I, I kind of graduated from listening to punk to starting to play metal on the drums till I picked up my own very own first Mapex drum set. And I guess the rest is history is just banging away in the garage, jamming with buddies at like the age of 15, 16, you know, playing some really cheesy Avenged Sevenfold at the time. I thought it was hot shit, which actually the old stuff is great. But uh, from there, it just kind of progressed is, into, yeah, yeah just... Russ is writing its own journey, basically. That's cool, man. That's awesome, Um, man. Did you start like with a double pedal right out of the gate or did you start on a single and like eventually work your way over? I was full bore, like double pedal right out of the gate because it was like, that's what I need. I need two feet going at all times and I need to play all the double bass ever because it's cool as shit <laughs> and nobody else around here is doing it. So that I know of at the time. So it, yeah, I started with double bass, Tama iron cobras. Nice. Oh, nice. We, nice, uh, yeah. I also, Corey, you also started with double bass right away too, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same yeah. here. All right. Well, that's the only way to do it. So if you're listening to this yeah. kids, kids at home, don't just play a single pedal. 
<laughs> That's the moral of the story. No. Just don't do it. <laughs> well, it comes back to like that whole my older brother being a punk drummer. And he was like, he had this T-shirt, I think. I'm pretty sure he had this T-shirt. It was like single pedals or GTFO. And, you know, all the punk guys swore by it. They were like fast single kicks all the time. And then I picked this thing up and he like kind of blackballed me when he seen me with these double pedals because he's like, no, man, (laughs) that's not how we do it. So, yeah. I remember being a kid and um, there was like a kind of jazz guy that I knew that told me kind of the same idea. Like, Oh, like what do you need a double pedal for? And like, he showed me some kind of quick single stuff and like, you know, a double and, and everything like that. But then as soon as I just played a normal double bass, like beat, he was just like, Oh, <laughs> that's, that's why you need that. So that was satisfying. Yeah. It's, it's funny. funny because like the main inspirations to me starting playing, like Travis Barker, and because I was a huge Blink One Eight Two fan back when I was like twelve, and then uh, Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden both play single kick, but somehow I was just like, no, I need, I need a double pedal, like hundred percent. But those are my two probably biggest inspirations when I first started. So it's kind of strange that way. But could you imagine that guy's like Nico's right foot? times two, like right and left, playing double pedals. His right leg is probably the size of an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) It just looks like it's been stung by a bunch of bees. Easily. Uh, (laughs) It's just swole, bro. Yeah. No, it'd be crazy, man. Like, the amount of, like, crazy polyrhythmic shit he could probably come up with. I mean, yeah. He's an incredible drummer, man. No wonder he could run to the hills. (laughs) But, um, bum. Oh my god, Corey! Okay. You gotta you gotta <laughs> splice in some more like uh, some sound effects and stuff into these. Every time somebody makes a oh, joke, yeah. like a sad trombone. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man, we need a laugh track, really. <laughs> so what uh, what are some of the things that you found whenever you were learning to play uh, that you struggled with and and kind of uh, like if you could go back in time, what are some things that you would do for your playing that you would have done differently? I. If I if I were able to change it, I would have stopped trying to get into Humber for that kind of music and then maybe explored some more people who were into the styles that I was interested in. As far as, you know, practicing certain things and techniques and stuff go, I wouldn't change any of that. But um, just my mindset, you know, I think that's where it all starts. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a little bit different of a headspace back then than what it is now. So it's tough to it's tough to placate that idea, but I definitely change who I would have drawn inspiration from or who I would have actually learned from, you know. Yeah, totally. So you said mm-hmm. um that you like you were trying to get into Humber for a while. Did you end up going or I didn't even try out. I was like I was studying with a guy who actually just connected with again. Um it was my old drum teacher and we were going over those like different styles like jazz, you know, how to swing, do the spang-a-lang, walk the dog and uh, yeah, to play some world rhythms and try and get into Humber. But it was like it was a pipe dream. And then I was just like, you know what? I, I don't really feel like I need a B.A. in music to be an artist. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of changed 100%, that. man. But- 
I saw a really cool, um, I saw Gavin Harrison do a clinic once and a big thing that he talked about, and I don't remember if I've talked about it on this podcast before, but one thing he mentioned was just the idea of playing music for fulfillment. And he said like, you know, if you're not enjoying what you're playing, you really shouldn't be playing it and you should be getting something out of it. So I think like even things like forcing yourself to go to school, because I'm sure a lot of musicians have it in their head that, you know, like, yeah, I need to go to school to become a musician, but realistically it's like if you prioritize enjoyment first then you know it's you're going to be happier in the long run i agree it's it's a lot like creating content you get on this treadmill and you try and keep up with it just to try and you know just to try and humor yourself as far as vanity metrics go and it's just like this never-ending cycle of self-doubt and it's it, it can be really detrimental but i totally agree with his statement Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of creating content, you've done a lot of YouTube videos. A lot of them are really funny, comical things, uh, poking jabs at people. And I'm sure like just the way the Internet is, you get a lot of uh, negative comments. Uh, I'm curious how mentally uh, you kind of deal with all the negativity that uh, can be thrown at you by putting yourself out there on that kind of social media. So basically how I deal with it. it yeah. Is there, is, do you deal with any kind of mental struggle or you just say, fuck those people? Like <laughs> I'm very like, I'm very relaxed, like laid back as it is. And I feel like if the roles are reversed, like that they're trying to get a, you know, a reaction out of me, then they've reversed the roles and that kind of defeated the purpose. So I, I don't, I'd look at the comments. I'm not going to lie. And and a lot of them are like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, I guess I deserve that. <laughs> I, you know what? They, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, you do have a sense of guilt that kind of like floats around in your conscious mind. And you're kind of like, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. But uh, the reaction was huge and it put my name out there for better or worse. And you just just keep on doing what you got to do and have fun with it, you know. So try not to take it off. Hell, (laughs) even even uh, Mike Portnoy there uh, shared one of your videos you did of him, you know. So like that's uh, that's pretty crazy just in and of itself. So. There's just something to realize about that. It's that you don't have control over other people's reactions and opinions. So as long as you keep that in mind and you respect that, then, I mean, it is what it is, right? So. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, I haven't really. Um, yeah. I know that like in the the Shredders of Metal, which is the only thing I've ever been in that's had like un decent amount of views I, I i read through them and then every now and then there's someone that just like there's either somebody who just says like oh this person fucking sucks and they're idiots and it's like okay whatever they don't matter but then there'll be somebody that like somebody like time stamped something i did that was sloppy and they're like oh this was horrible i went back and watched i'm like oh it was horrible <laughs> those are the ones that just kind of stung <laughs> i think it takes a bigger person though to take that and just like to build on it you know which i'm sure you have so Oh yeah, no, I don't. I didn't disagree with them at all. I actually went and liked their comment, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, they weren't wrong, so I couldn't be too upset. Hey, we're all human. Yeah, I know. 
Um, so you've done a number of, you know, a number of tours under your belt and stuff. Um, are there any shows that, so one of our, our first episode, I think was called on stage disasters. Was there ever a show that you played where just everything went wrong? Your gear fell apart or just like something stands out to you is like, Oh, that sucked. And you couldn't wait to get off the stage. Mm, Yeah. Or I didn't realize it until like I watched a live video recording of it. (laughs) Um, there was one time there was multiple times on that um, Betraying the Martyrs tour where it was like I got these drums from the Vale Amea's tour manager who was managing the band at the time and uh, so we were triggering the kick drum and the kick drum didn't have anything in it and that was my mistake for not double checking it and not being not being logical and so we, I got a lot of double triggering on that. And that was pretty embarrassing. I never realized until we played a show in Chicago, they recorded the whole set and it's just like, and it's like, oh, oh man. No. And it's like, well, you know, can't change that. So there's more than one instance. If you want to talk about some more times that the humility is I, I would love to. <laughs> um, I love this. I know. I just know as a, as whenever I was growing up, if I had have heard drummers, um, that I looked up to talk about times that everything went wrong for them. I'd, I would have felt less bad whenever it went wrong for me. Yeah, that's true. So I'm sure this will help some people. Yeah, learn from other people's mistakes. Um, so if you're triggering your kick drum, stuff it full of stuff or, you know, trigger your pedals or something. But uh, mm-hmm. what else? Yeah, yeah foot, foot blasters all the way. Yeah, foot <laughs> blasters work well. What else? There was a time in St. Thomas when I used to partake in the beverages, the adult beverages. And um, I think I, I, I'd let you guys know a little bit about this story in an email. But um, we played the set. Well, it was about the second last song of the set. And uh, I lost my balance on the drum throne. And uh, yeah, I ended up taking a spill. <laughs> it's, no sur- <laughs> it's, it's no surprise that we could all get through the set, but... You know, we used to practice so much. It was like second nature. But regardless, don't, you know, in future shows after that, we I kind of established a, a set of rules that was like no more than a couple beers or a couple joints at the time. And, you know, because that experience <laughs> was was unruly. I always used to, uh, back when I used to drink, I always, uh, I played one show after drinking too much. And it was just... So I, I couldn't do it. I was so bad. And after that, I was always like, you know what? Like, you don't drink and drum. <laughs> you just don't do it. And uh, yeah, I I always had the rule where I would have two drinks before doors open. No more than two. And then nothing except water and caffeine up until we play. And then once I get off stage, then it's fine. But yeah, always allow like no more than two during the day. And then once doors open, nothing. Uh, until we hit the stage, so Cause it's, yeah, having rules in place is key. It's like it's 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 embarrassing. Not only is it embarrassing, but it's like you get to a fast part, you know, you can just rip through, and your muscles don't want to cooperate because you're dehydrated, and then you just totally bosh it, and you just like struggle to get to the next part. It's just like if you can prepare and avoid that situation on a whole, then I definitely suggest it. <laughs> yeah absolutely. especially when you're on tour as well like you're leaving 
everything behind to hit the road and then you go out and play a show and you play like shit just because you wanted to have a couple extra drinks just doesn't seem very productive you know having a fun time is for after you play a great show in celebration right so don't celebrate too early yeah (laughs) it's like the guy at the party that passes out first don't be that guy especially if people are paying to come see you so yeah Yeah. Yeah. save all your drinking for whenever you're at home save all your drinking when you're at home working true yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for your day-to-day life, not the touring one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys only drink on the road, though. That's the thing. Like, a lot of guys I know, they don't drink really when they're at home. And they then they get into the tour lifestyle and end up partying every day and become alcoholics. But then they go home and they barely even drink at all. So, I don't know. I never got into that. I just used to drink all the time. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's like going away. To, it's like going away for school for the first time, you know. And you just like you're Frank the Tank. The first drink hits the lips, and you just keep going. Oh, tastes so good. <laughs> Fill it up. Fill it up. <laughs> oh, the good old days. So um, you kind of mentioned, uh, and this is just something I, I want to quickly talk about. Just uh, so you're endorsed by On Trigger, uh, or no Foot Blaster? Sorry, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's yeah, like so a, I guess that, there's an agreement there. Yeah, cool. So I guess that would get a, get rid of a lot of uh, double triggering issues if you're jumping around from like using different kits all the time, right? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like Corey, you're using those as well, right? Yeah, I, I am. I only use really it on the one kit. Yeah, I guess we haven't so. really done an episode on 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 triggering and stuff for. Uh, or any of that stuff. So I guess for anyone who's who's listening, there's the type of trigger that you can put onto your bass drum, which if you have nothing in it, you're prone to double triggering a lot um, through like vibrations or like extra bass tones and stuff like that can and set them off. But these triggers would mount right on your pedals. So the footboard actually hits it instead, uh, which pretty much would just eliminate that risk, which I'm sure would have come in handy uh you know, back whenever you had to play that bass drum. Oh yeah. So many times. (laughs) Yeah. I used to always have the issue of, um, when I was using the Roland K tens or whatever they are, uh, every time I'd hit my snare, cause I always use like six or seven inch deep snares. So every time I would do a loud snare hit, I'd get a kick with it, which honestly, probably not that bad in bigger venues to get this like sub thrust, Every time I uh, I do a loud snare hit, so hey, sometimes it works to your advantage, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like it's a really good idea, and I'm glad. Like the whole idea of technological development for the aid of musicians and creatives is like progressing, because like we we all get excited about gear and about tools and stuff, but ultimately it helps us communicate our ideas and thoughts through music. Right. So I like to see stuff like that is really cool. Cause that would have saved a buttload of heartache. Oh yeah, man. I remember, um, I remember whenever I first started triggering and you know, just before that, I thought I was pretty good. And then as soon as I started triggering and I could hear my feet, I was just so unhappy (laughs) for the (laughs) longest time because I was aware that I wasn't nearly where I thought I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that was a rough time. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, for us all, I think. <laughs> oh, every day, like half an hour ago. Still, every day. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I don't know about you, uh, you guys, but I know that uh, since this pandemic has happened and lockdown has been going on, um, my band hasn't been jamming. So I, I live with an electric drum kit, but it's just not the same as playing my acoustics. So um, my practice has definitely kind of taken a bit of a hit. Uh, have you found the same or do you still try to keep busy and, and stay up with your routines? Well, it's like, as far as that's concerned, I've kind of established this environment where I'm never really jamming with people. So that hasn't changed, but my mental state has, because I'm used to jamming with people like I, back when I was in bands and stuff. And it's a really different feel because you kind of like, you don't get pushed as hard from other musicians to progress because they're not throwing like challenging riffs at you or different ideas or challenge your, your thoughts and ideas. So that that's really changed the way I perceive drumming, but uh, everything else has pretty much remained the same. Yeah, I feel that, man. I know when I was playing for uh, the band Vesperia and the guitar player Frankie, who was actually the winner of the first Shredders of Metal, he was in that band. And I felt like I got so much better within six months just playing with him every week. Because like he would push me, he was writing all these crazy riffs and higher BPMs and like, you need to do this. And he would hop on my kit and show me what I'm supposed to play. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like guy is just unreal. Right. But like even um, when Crimson was touring a lot and stuff like that, we wouldn't really jam all that often. So I got really used to just putting my clicks in my ears and working and focusing on my playing alone. So that way, when we showed up to do rehearsals for a tour, uh, I had my shit on lockdown. I don't need to hear what anyone else is doing. And I just have everything in my ears and then I, I go. So me rehearsing by myself is, uh, is, it just seems normal to me at this point, but I definitely hundred percent miss, uh, the push of playing with other musicians. You know, though, it's, it's really respectable if a drummer internalizes his parts without the rest of the musicians, because if anything happens live, if one of the guitar players cables, gets messed up or he pulls it out of the amp or something electronically fails, then you're there to just like to keep that beat going. Right. It's all, it's all memorized. So I think that's a really good point you bring up. Yeah. Well, I actually put guitar tracks in my, uh, in-ears with my click tracks and my orchestrations. So that way, no matter what the onstage sound is like, I always have the same mix in my ears. So I run my triggers into it, uh, and then sometimes I'll get like a, a monitor mix for to have the rest of my kit in. But for the most part, I run the exact same thing in my jam space that I do on stage. So it is always the same. I don't have to worry about any weird variables and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a, that's how I've ran it for years, and I love it. Great. It seems like I just have a bunch. Like I've got a click track that I run, but I have like a bunch of recordings of me just like encouraging myself, be like, 
yeah, Derek, you're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> and like I used to, <laughs> I used to um, record. Uh, and Gavin Harrison actually said that he did this as well. This is another thing I took away from his clinic. But like just recording some cues and stuff. So if you are playing songs that have like a you know a weird time signature or like a really tricky part when you're learning it, I'll have a vocal cue come in and either count myself or like count along with it or sing the riff or something that kind of keeps me on track. Um, although if you get like a beat behind, it gets super distracting. So it's kind of risky. Um, so we, so we talked about some of, some of these rough gigs where everything went wrong. Uh, what about some gigs that stand out to you as like some of the highlights for your, your gigging, uh, time? There's two off the top of my head. Um, one was local here in London with Parkway Drive and, that was that was off the charts because it's like we brought in quite a few people to watch us, but Parkway Drive, this was before they 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 released uh, Deep Blue, I think that album was, and there was Circle Pits and everybody was going insane. There was a lot of good energy. It was that was really memorable. And then another time was playing at uh, the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival with Kill Switch. And a few other guys, but playing in front of that many people is just like, uh, yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how many people was it? Uh, for us, because we weren't on the main stage, we at, at least a few thousand in that place. Whereas the main yeah. stage will do like maybe 10. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong for anybody listening, but yeah. That's pretty crazy. I remember... Um, I haven't played in front of a lot of huge crowds, but uh, whatever centuries went over to Vakken in 2018, I remember, uh, and I'm pretty sure I told the story before as well, but um, yeah, we I didn't go into the, the tent beforehand, to, uh, so I didn't really know how big it was, and they op- like they said, all right, like here's centuries of decay, and the curtain opened, and I looked out, and it was like such a huge crowd that when they screamed, it was like... <sighs> like and i was just like oh my god that's a lot of people (laughs) and fortunately i had my hat on so i just looked down so that i couldn't see out anymore and kind of did my thing symbols are up here yeah man when we played yeah 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 tilt the symbols so you can't see (laughs) man when we played as soon as we got our passes we were right there side stage man we were like what is up this is sick uh and we were told there was nine thousand people in the tent when we played I, I don't believe that, but it was packed, man. Like front to back slammed. That's I don't think I'll ever play in front of that many people ever again. <laughs> but well, yeah, that was a fun time, man. It's a little different because like for the longest time I, I was a stagehand at um, our local arena. So whatever band came through there, I was doing audio for. And um, one time while well, I was for Justin Bieber tour and... I got up on stage to take the mic down after his set. And it was just like that many screaming girls. It's like you're talking about where it's just like this swell of intense people, like a bunch of Vikings doing that whole clap thing. You've probably seen that video. And uh, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's intimidating. Cause you're like, how am I supposed to commend this whole group of people? Like, <laughs> but you make it work. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, I feel like a, a Justin Bieber crowd would be like really shrill too, like a lot of high pitched shrieks. Oh yeah, it was. All I know. Um, 
like a year ago i went and saw i went to rupaul's drag race because it came through uh toronto and um a friend of mine was up from pei and they and they took us with them and the crowd was so loud i couldn't believe it like it, the show itself wasn't that bad but every time the crowd cheered i actually had to plug my ears because i thought i was gonna die that's insane it was uh yeah i've never performed in front of a crowd that loud and i don't know if i ever will <laughs> memorable yeah it's, you, you wonder how those guys even monitor oh yeah that'd be rough i was looking at at your gear list here do you have any uh like pieces of gear that you would say are near and dear to your heart that like so for example if your studio was on fire and for some reason you could only get a single piece of gear out of there what do you run for oh man where do you come up with these questions i would say i prepared them beforehand but that's a lie (laughs) yeah but that's a good question i think one piece of gear snare drum my phosphorus bronze black panther snare for sure yeah yeah there yeah i I, was uh i wouldn't be able to get away with saying the tamil one so um that one can burn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, like yeah, Corey here who said he'd take his bass drum his bass drum I love that that my <laughs> dude he put me on the spot before and yeah it was I love that uh, it's a Mapex Meridian series maple kick drum and it just sounds fucking awesome so I was looking around and I was like oh I love that that kick drum realistically I should grab my uh, Mapex uh, 13 by 7 blaster snare because uh, my girlfriend got that for me for a gift so I should probably grab that too and I love that thing it's fucking awesome but uh, yeah oh uh, kick I, drum it is the thing about kick drums coming out though. of the infernos with a huge <laughs> kick drum like I got it <laughs> You can put it like you can fill it full of food and stuff, though. That's the thing. Like, you know, just punch See? a hole through the head, and there's some. Yeah, there's you can some pretty much live out of it if you needed to. Yeah, there you go, man. Burn it for free. <laughs> it it wasn't for stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been keeping busy lately, doing a lot of uh, recording and and session work online. Um. So how's that uh, going for you? Like, um. You know, if somebody was, uh, if you were to give advice to somebody who was new starting out, didn't know anything about it, what are some uh, things that you wish you had known uh, from the beginning? Uh, as far as like drum recording goes? Yeah. I would say if you if you know the basics of drum recording, that that's important, but you also need to learn how to be a business. Yeah. Yes. So that's a lot of important information I kind of ne- neglected over the years, but I've kind of been really into lately. So, yeah, business. Because after all, that's what it business is. Business is huge. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at business. That's Corey's uh, Corey's bag over there. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> well, I got I got kind of forced into it um, during the Crimson Shadows days that like everyone just wanted to just play music and i was like guys we can't it doesn't work like that like we need to know the business side of things so that we can actually sustain this and 
actually do tours that don't fucking fall apart halfway through and, you know, like actually be able to do this. So I had to take a lot of that on and a lot of things have changed as far as like marketing and, and social media since I, I learned all that probably back in what, like 2014. Um, so I've had to go back and kind of relearn a lot of that, the marketing side of things. Um, but like, honestly, these, everyone always says that you can't do music. Like you can't do it. Like it's not a real job. Everything you definitely, you hundred percent can, but you need to treat it like a business and, and there has to be some income there. Right. So, and I actually saw, uh, one of your more recent posts here that says musicians charge what you're worth. Stop undervaluing yourself. And I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, I think that musicians, uh, even recording engineers, everything like that, like everyone expects things for free or for dirt cheap and cause it's art and everything. But man, like we all have to survive. We all have to make a living off, off something. Right. So man, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Well, just to add to that, it's like, I seen that in a video from a local like audio engineer. Um, he was talking about that, about valuing your, you know, about your self-worth and stuff. But I think the best takeaway from that video that I seen was that musicians and creatives as a community need to, need to get together and raise that bar. Right. Because there's lots of session work out there. There's lots of, you know, photography work, lots of wedding, whatever, you know, any, any creative job type of work out there. But we're, we seem as musicians to be the only ones who don't get paid like all the other ones, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's a cumulative effort between all of us to kind of push each other to be like, no, we, we're worth more than that. There's like, just because somebody puts out a piece of music that you can stream anywhere for free doesn't mean that it's not worth investing into, you know? And I I think that's kind of an old idea and old way of thinking is that everybody thinks that music is just, you know, one of those things like, ah, it's just music, you know, it's just noise. It's, It's just this, it's just that. It's like, yeah, but you never put in, you never put in the time to record your own stuff or to be in that situation to put out that kind of material. So it's like, how are you to justify the value or the worth of somebody's art? Totally. Exactly, yeah. man. It's, some, it's something it's that's funny. so... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was I was recently listening to a podcast that they went pretty in-depth on that whole thing as well about... I think it was the, uh, the URM podcast. And they were talking about how, yeah, like photographers, videographers, like wedding photographers get paid like insane amounts and they'll pay it like people will pay to have that done so why is it any different when it comes to musicians whether it be like session work or or the arts in general like um when it comes to music anyways you know everyone feels like they can pinch pennies and i think in this in in the podcast they talked about how they were trying to cut the budgets on the album recording but then they go and spend 20 grand on a music video. Yeah. It's just like, but you wouldn't have the music video without the music. So why are you trying to pinch pennies 
and the actual production and the the actual thing that you're marketing and touring off of and making money off of than then going and dropping 20 grand in, on a music video you know why can't why can't yeah. the people making the actual music see see some of the money too right because it's so and it, yeah i'm not talking about getting rich and famous and crazy money or anything but like being able to make a decent living you know yeah because that all stems down to perceived value right so it's like the more expensive something is the more sought after it is and the more valuable it becomes mm-hmm. to somebody it's like that that piece of art that was that banana on the wall you know, and that thing went for fifty-five million or five hundred million or something. Why was why stupid, was it worth yeah. so much? Well, it's because people were putting it up on a pedestal and saying that's what it was worth. But as soon as it comes to art and music, well, it's not worth that much because it's in, you know it's intangible. We have access to it anyway. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, it definitely know. is something that seems to be like it's kind of taken uh, for granted now. It's so accessible and easy to get at. And uh, I mean, I remember being a kid and and saving up all my money uh just so i could go buy one cd you know and then i would just listen to that over and over and it was like getting a cd to listen to was a huge deal and now it's kind of just a matter of like oh i could just check out like i could check out like 10 albums a day and see if i like them or not yeah yeah it's all at your fingertips man yeah so it's like it, it it's tough, but I think as a whole, like everybody can can kind of push that away from what, what it is now in a sense. It, it might take some work because everybody still sees it the way they see it. But yeah, it's just the whole convenience factor with music. It's like, you know, as, as soon as somebody charges uh, 200 bucks, 250 bucks for a drum track and they're like, no, that's too expensive. It's like, well, then you're not the right client. There's people out there who actually will take the time. I think it's in some of the comments and in that post on my Facebook page, but they say that, you know, they get a lot of low ballers, 90% of them. Oh, it was Robin Stone. And he said like 90% of them will low ball it. And then, you know, the other 10% will actually understand, you know, and be more, more than willing than to pay the price. And it's just like, well, then you got to put yourself out there 90% or 900% more. Right, just to get those other ten percent clients, but yeah, it's interesting the fact that you said like, oh, you know, that person's not the client for me. Then, um, so I, uh, for the last number of years, I've made a living not from music, but from running a dog walking business, and it's the exact same thing. You find the clients um, that work with you, so that way you can do things the way you want to. Uh, you don't necessarily have to bend and cave. And I'm not saying like, you know, just to plant your feet and and be hard to work with. But I think if you have a a set of personal morals that you want to stand by, um, you know, stand by them and your life will probably be a lot better because you won't have to be dealing with the people that you don't enjoy dealing with quite as often. Yeah. Cause it's like, there's, it's a lot of semantics, but you know, if, if you're in demand, and you don't have enough time to do all the work that's coming in, then you raise your rates, you know, and then less people ask for you. And then as soon as that happens again, you raise your rates again. So that's just, that's the ebb and flow of supply and demand. That's how it works. Right. So. Hmm, Yeah, absolutely, man. See, and that's business right there. That's how it's done. If you just kept it at like, 
you know, say like 50 bucks a song and then you just kept getting more and more and more and more. You're still, you're working, you're making more money in the end, but you're having to work 10 times harder for it. Well, right? yeah, it's, so. the problem is, is that you're still trading time for an amount of money. You only have 24 hours in a day. You can do $50, so- mm-hmm. $50 songs all you want, but the next guy could be doing 200 250 a song, work a tenth of the amount of work as you, and still be, you know, I guess it all depends what your goals are and if, you know, you're driven by money or not. But I'm just saying as far as like t- trading time for money goes, that's that's an inefficient <clears throat> way to do it, especially if you're really good. Oh, exactly, man. So do you find... Um, that doing session work these days requires not only being, you know, competent behind the drum kit, but also like how important, and this may be a stupid question, but like how important would you say it is to also be competent at the computer and with recording software and actually tracking your own stuff as opposed to needing to work with uh, another person? Um, You got to be good at recording, right? You have to have a desirable and, and, valuable offer for people to actually be attracted to what you have to do for them. Uh, it's, it's really important, but what's even more important than that is how you market yourself because oh, yeah. yeah, well, it's like you can be the best audio engineer, the best drummer, but if nobody knows who you are, how are you going to be, how are you going to be achieving your goals? Right. So it's like, it's kind you kind of got to wear many hats and, like anybody who's in this field understands it's it's time consuming and it's frustrating. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Marketing is a huge part of it. Again, that with, with business. Um, but if you don't have like, I wouldn't say like jumping straight to marketing is the best thing, but if you have the skills and you think that you're um, if it, if it's proven kind of that you, you are great at recording and great at, at playing and everything like that, then absolutely um, look into the marketing aspect of it. And like people need to know that you're great. They, you can't just assume that people are just going to like, there's not cameras in every room of your house that everyone's watching you all the time. Like you know, the what I mean? the, only the bathroom. So, <laughs> only the bathroom yeah, yeah just toilet. my toilet That's my it. live toilet cam hey whatever you're into <laughs> <laughs> but no i agree that's actually there, how we fund there's fund definitely this podcast is through his uh, live toilet cam that's where all the bank is it's a whole business plan oh my only cams yeah there's there's a process though it's, it's like obviously job. you know marketing's an aspect of it and if you're just i guess to re, to yeah, to retort back to the original question is that you need to start off if you're going to start recording drums and you want to do the session stuff, get as good as you can get, start doing shit for free. Once you get some people under your belt, um, whatever way you want to take that, once you get some clients, <laughs> <laughs> once you get some people on your portfolio and to have something to showcase other people to gain their trust is when you can start to market yourself to showcase that you are indeed trustworthy and worth their time. And then after that, they can get back under your belt if you want. (laughs) I love it. Hey, so Derek, you got uh, some lightning round questions there for our guest? So I guess 
I'll ask a few questions here, and you guys both just throw out the first thing that comes to your head. Um, I'll try to make the questions clear. Thanks for putting me in the spot with this, Corey. I love that. <laughs> so they're like <laughs> panicking, trying to think of questions here. Okay. So, um, and I guess whenever we're doing this, Cam, you can uh, you can answer first, and then Corey. Uh, okay. So first question would be uh, new pedals or new snare drum. New snare drum. Corey, I'm going. I'm going new pedals. Oh. Because we, we just did the episode on pedals, and so all week I've just been, like, pedals in my head, and I more recently got a new snare, so it's, it's a tough one, though, man. I, you can yeah. never have too many <laughs> snare drums, and I already have, like, like three sets of pedals, so. but, <laughs> man, still, those, those Axis, um, what, A1 lasers? All right, dude, I want those so bad. Fancy. Pants. Do you have a sp- a specific snare in mind that you would get? Um, no, <laughs> because it's like no, <laughs> just it's like <laughs> just a snare. I love chocolate, so if there's chocolate on it, I'll probably eat it. No, oh, man, a chocolate snare. Oh, worse. <laughs> <laughs> Rapid question number two. If you had to choose between, <laughs> just keep for some reason in my head, I just keep going like, if you could save like a puppy from a burning building or play drums for an hour. But uh, I would hope that we picked the puppy. You guys can feel free to clarify that one. <laughs> Silence. I would, I would be like running into a burning building. To save a puppy. Yeah. It's like, I mean, <laughs> I don't it's not think too- I would run in, run <laughs> into that- a burning building, period. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would do that. It's either that or my drum kit sitting over there, like, or you could play that. I'm like, I'm probably going <laughs> to play the drums. Yeah. <laughs> like, blast beat as the building's burning. That's pretty metal. Someone better be filming it. I guess. <laughs> but I love puppies. Okay. So, uh, what is, if you had to pick one symbol that you would say is the first one that comes to your mind is your favorite? Um, on my current setup, I'd have to say my heavy ride. Yeah. yeah. That's uh mine old, I think I read it was a, uh, the Byz- it's Byzance. Am I saying that wrong? No, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I've always wanted to try some minor symbols. I've just always been too poor and, and, uh, haven't gotten around to it yet. The dark stuff's pretty affordable. Yeah? Yeah, and it's a little... It's, check it's, it out some it's more durable, and it doesn't sound as, like, brash as, like, the classics customs. But, um, yeah. And I think, Corey, you yeah. answered this last time, didn't you? I did. I did. And it's funny because our last guest also said his ride symbol was his favorite. But yeah, no, mine definitely is the uh, 19-inch Holy China. Yeah, those are nice. By Sabian. They're beautiful, man. And like I, I used them for a long time, and then I just kept breaking them on tour and everything, so I gave it up for a while, and I, I went through a series of different ones, 
And then after a couple of years, they just came back and I was like, I don't care if I break it every six months or every three months. Like this is the best. I don't care. <laughs> I'll spend the money. Yeah. It just, yeah. They have like a two year warranty. I would imagine How do, yeah. that could work. You yeah. Can only replace definitely. Them once though. I, oh yeah. Now you can only replace them once back before. I think I've gotten three symbols under one warranty before. I was in there like every three, four months with a different symbol. As soon as I'd walk in holding a symbol, everyone at Long McQuaid would just look at me like, dude, again? <laughs> like I got to know the the like manager lady there who dealt with all the returns and everything. And she was like, seriously, dude, like, come on, stop breaking symbols. I'm like, I play a lot, you know, like I leave for tour next week. So hook me up, get it done. <laughs> The cat's meow. That's a great. I'm trying yeah, to but I haven't, sit here. Th- I don't think I've broken a symbol this year, actually. I, I've hmm. barely hit a real. I don't even know if I have hit a real symbol this year yet. I yeah, mean, really. you are. Okay, maybe not in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've only been That's hitting true. my my electric kit. Um, I think if I had to pick a favorite symbol, uh, and it's not the specific one, but I, I just like in the last maybe year i added a, an ozone crash to my setup and i'm just loving using that it's so useful so i think that's what i would put my money on um so i guess next question we'll say and i feel like i know the answer for both of you but i'm gonna ask it anyway one or two bass drums i'd two like yeah i'd like two bass drums <laughs> yeah nice. yeah <laughs> for some reason i thought i saw that do you use two bass drums or you have just one kick right now I uh, I have one kick. I'm I'm playing with the idea of getting another one if they'll make it. But it's kind of tricky to get a second kick drum sometimes. Um and I try to get expensive. One... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially for something yeah. that I'm going to trigger anyway. <laughs> yeah. I know it's I just ordered a new Mapex kit and I got two kick drums and the extra kick drum on was almost the same price as getting a full other kit. I'm like Come on. <laughs> like it's it's like yeah, it's like six, seven hundred dollars just for the I guess it's like half the price really. But yeah. Yeah, but that's crazy. That's what you want and consider an investment, right? So over the course of how many years you're gonna be playing it, it doesn't equate to all that much money. So No, and- it doesn't. And but this means I have to get another kick drum mic as well, because I am fucking miking it. <laughs> I'm getting a new kit with Nice twenty twos. I'm miking it and triggering it. Yeah, but, yeah. Go all out, man. Just think like, about how cool you're gonna look. <laughs> that, dude, that's the it's main, gonna look so cool. That's the main reason, right? <laughs> dude, I can't stand the look of a single kick. At least for me, like, and being able to see my one leg, but not my other. Like, no. I would it, even if I had a single kick, I would put up like a round banner or something over the <laughs> other side just to hide my legs. I have a feeling yeah. if I order the Black Widow kick drum, if they'll even make it, it's going to be like, I don't know how long. Are, what's the turnaround they're giving you for yours? Dude, I ordered it in September and I just checked in with Dave and he said it'll be ready in June. So, like ten months. Originally, he said four months, and then when I just I just got an email from him last week saying June. 
So yeah, like yeah, supply and demand right now with around. foreign countries is a little tough to be shipping. So I can understand. That's rough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could just cut it. your bass drum in half, and then you have two. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. You know, <laughs> my one awesome bass drum I love. I'll just cut in half. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't ruin <laughs> the tone at all. No, <laughs> short sustain. I'm sure you can make it work. Maybe it'll make it punchier. If, it, if the shallower ones are, are punchier, right? You know? Sure. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I have no idea. Could be. I did that with the... I mean, it might sound cool. I have um, uh, an 8-inch deep, 22-inch bass drum that I... I like I, It was an old shitty Westbury kick drum that I used, and I just cut it to 8 inches deep to use as an electric bass drum, but I've never put a real skin on it. Um, and I actually just whittled the back bearing edge because i didn't have any like road or anything so i took a knife and just like half-assed it but it held up i'm curious about what it would sound like hey modern problems require modern solutions so <laughs> yeah well i mean That's i guess right. i kind of used more of like a caveman solution to make this one but it worked <laughs> <laughs> cuts like a knife <laughs> i should have used like a piece of flint just smashed it with a, a hammer or a stick ooga booga <laughs> just, just grab a rock from outside just start hitting it i mean that's pretty much all that drumming is anyway isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah call and response all right man well Corey, i think those those are my three lightning round questions that's all i got yeah that's yeah. excellent dude i'm i'm really proud of you Thanks. uh that you came up with that on the spot honestly i was expecting you to just uh <laughs> start say crying the same ones as last week uh, but you know, you did right. a great job, man. Yeah, All right, you know. Cam. Well, I think this is a good place to kind of wrap things up. Um, is there anything that you have, uh, going on that you want to uh, tell people about? I don't want to tell people about it, but I do have a lot going on. Um, it's not because I'm an asshole. It's cause I just like, <laughs> I just, I want it to be done before I can, I can open my mouth about it. But um, expect there to be some change. It's like that band that's, oh, uh, big things coming, hashtag. <laughs> I hate doing that, but um, besides from well, that. Well, I guess if people want to, uh, you know, if people want to follow you and make sure that they know when this uh, big thing gets squeezed out of the pipe, you know, how can they, where can they, where's the best place for someone to follow you and get updates and stuff? They can check me out on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com forward slash Cameron Flurry, my first name and last name. I'll be posting some videos about that when it's all done. And then they can follow my socials. I'm on Instagram at Cameron.flurry. And then on Facebook, it's just forward slash Cam on Drums. So I should be posting that. I I hate to give a time frame because I don't like letting people down and I want it to be right. So we'll just say soon. Yeah, coming soon. And then don't, that way, don't, yeah. don't mind you the know, dust. That can it's be under construction. However. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I saw that you uh, recently posted some PDFs of some recording gear guides and recording for beginners. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's a great. I, I went through them, and there's some great suggestions on, on mics and monitors and interfaces. So anybody out there who is looking to start recording their own drums and dive into 
that world of things, highly suggest checking that out. And they can get that from your website? Yeah, there's a pay, a specific page for it. It's kind of like um, CameronFlurry.com forward slash drum dash gear guide. I'd ha- you'd have to put it in the show notes or something because it's a lot to try yeah. to memorize. But <laughs> yeah, we'll put it. We'll we'll put it in the show notes down there, and everyone can check it out because I think that it's uh it's a really cool idea. Just uh letting out all the, all the information that you have and that you've built up and, and letting people kind of, uh, giving them some hints on where to start with this type of thing. Yeah. And some great suggestions for gear in there too. And by all means, like it's just the, it's just scratching the surface. And so if you want to learn more, you can hit any one of us up who do this. So we're here to help. We're not here to compete. So if uh, if you want to learn how to do it and know some tips and tricks and stuff, then hit any one of us up. That's for sure. Yeah, right, I'm absolutely. In. And absolutely. I definitely like recommend everybody like you know check out uh, his YouTube channel. There's some really cool stuff that's like entertaining things. But I remember uh, quite a while ago actually, I I, um, I was having a hard time with uh, some mid tempo bass drumming, and I was working on getting better at the floating technique. And uh, I actually ended up. This is how I found out about you. I stumbled across a video that you had. Um, talking about bass drum work and uh, just improving your foot technique. It was it was really helpful. So, you know, thank you. It's always good to check out stuff like that and get different takes on how people are approaching it. And uh, so, absolutely recommend that. So, Corey, you got anything else, buddy? No, I think that's it, man. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, it's been great chats. Uh, we'll have to do this again. I know going into this, we were like, oh, we're going to chat about gear all day long. And, you know, it's going to be, what are your pedal settings and everything, (laughs) you know? (laughs) We didn't even get into pedal settings. We didn't even get into that, man. So maybe we'll have to do that again and have it just all about gear and and all the crap that nobody really wants to hear about. Oh, yeah. The specifics. (laughs) All the the gear slut alert. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, thanks again for joining us, man. Um, you know. Thanks for having me, guys. Our pleasure, man. It's it's been a blast. It's good cuz uh, whatever people may think of me from some of the videos is definitely an internet perception. So, I'm glad to put a voice behind a name. <laughs> Excellent, man. Excellent, dude. All right, man. We'll uh we'll talk to you soon and everyone out there, keep drumming. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're feeling especially kind, we would love it if you would share this with a friend or two. If you have any comments, questions, or even suggestions for future shows, please let us know. You can fire us a message, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Catch you next time. I never know how to end these episodes. No, it's good. We just sing our way out.